thanks for coming and hanging out with us. This is the Malthouse Games Podcast, and uh, we're glad to see you come along. My name is Delton, and I will be your host. And with me today is my other host, the co-host, the second host, the best host, who knows, my wife Haley. I know, but I'm not going to tell you. So this is a podcast, I didn't do this last episode, this is a podcast about tabletop games. The people who like to play tabletop games, some of the stories we make playing tabletop games, some of the things we do while we play, and just stuff like that. Things we're interested in, things that we are guessing you're interested in. And beer. And also beer. Today, or I guess I should say this episode, we are both drinking Newcastle Brown. Haley is drinking it out of one of our Roughtail Brewery glasses. Roughtail is a local Oklahoma company. And I am drinking out of my Iron Monk Brewing Glass, which is another Oklahoma company from Stillwater, uh, Roughtail's Midwest City. I believe yes, Midwest City. Yes. So that's what we're drinking today. So today, we're going to be talking about two slightly heavier games. We're going to kind of, you know, we've talked about quite a few games in the past. Today, we're going to do just two and kind of see how that goes. Um, anything you want to talk about before we get to the games? Monopoly. Monopoly will ruin relationships or at least take you very close to it. I've determined the reason being is that it is so boring and so mundane that you must bicker and argue back and forth just to keep things interesting. The problem is no one knows how to control said bickering and arguing. Therefore, Monopoly ruins relationships. The first hour and a half, the first hour and a half I was winning and Dalton was complaining the whole time about how terrible the game was, how I was being mean in the game, how I was just trying to keep him from doing what he wanted to do in the game. Just complain, complain, complain. And then a wild turn of events happened. And all of a sudden, Dalton was winning for the last hour. And the whole time, he's like, oh, this isn't so bad. Oh, oh, look at that. You're, you're having to pay me money. Oh, isn't that funny? It's definitely, it definitely feels better whenever you're winning at the game. That definitely helps. Well, yeah. But still, yeah, Monopoly is absolutely terrible. So I suggest not playing it unless you absolutely have to. And if you do have to, just flip the board early so you can move on to playing something more interesting. But we actually finished the game. Our relationship survived. It did. Being that it was a Doctor Who board game, too, it wasn't as terrible. At least you could read the cards and get a kick out of it. The only reason I own Monopoly at all is because it is a Doctor Who 50th anniversary edition. And I decided I have to have it because I'm a big Doctor Who fan. So I've got it, and it's terrible, but it's Doctor Who, so kind of cool, right? Right? Delton is the type of person to read the rules to Monopoly. I did. I went through and read the rules and told her. That way we know exactly. Because I hate when people play free parking. You don't do that. You don't put money in the center of the table. You don't land on free parking and take free money. That's not how the game works. That's not how it's supposed to work. And you auction off those properties you don't want, you loser. You don't just pass on it. Not how the game works. Quit making it 18 hours. And why'd you complain about it so much whenever I made you auction off stuff? Because it hurts. In my soul, what's left of it, it hurts. So Dalton ran out of money really quickly at the beginning of the game. Yep. And so I would say pass on certain spots so that I could buy it lower because I knew that he had $61 and I knew that I would gladly pay 80 bucks for that $400 spot. Yeah, it was pretty brutal, but I mean, you know, it makes the game go by quicker when all those properties go... In the first, you know, I don't know, five rounds around the board, you get a lot of properties gone. And then when you start landing on them. The issue is, we never landed on anything for a while. At least, you didn't. I had those three properties for a while before you finally landed on them. But I got lucky too, dodging your other three with uh, all the houses. I don't know what you're talking about. It makes the game go by quicker whenever you have to auction off stuff. Because you are complaining the whole time. Just made it drag on even more. I mean, it's fine. It's also on the shelf, and I'll probably never play it again, but it's Doctor Who. 
50th anniversary edition, so I probably won't get rid of it unless, I don't know, unless I feel like it, I guess, but right now it's staying. Its spot is not that valuable. I have more shelf space still. But almost, anyway, oh, go ahead. Almost as fun as Yam. Yeah, we have Yam Master. This is a random tangent, but we bought Yam Master for $5 on sale at my one of our local game stores, Game HQ in Oklahoma City. Phenomenal game store. If you live in Oklahoma and you haven't been, you're missing out because they have most everything. But they had their clearance table for Black Friday, and they had Yam Master at $5. The cheapest I can find it is Cool Stuff at 30 But the copy that we bought only had French and German rules. Yeah, it had absolutely no English rules. Haley spoke, or speaks and reads enough German. You can speak German, I think, better than you read it. I read it better than I speak it. Do you? She can read it well enough to get it, but it was just quicker to look online for a translation because translating in live time, especially something like game rules, is kind of hard. So we looked it up, though, and played it, and it's basically Yahtzee meets... uh, Yahtzee meets garbage? Yahtzee meets bingo. Yahtzee meets bingo. Where do you get garbage from bingo? Well, I mean, it was $5. You're such a communist. Well, still. You roll dice, and then you place a little token on something. And if you can make... Is it a full horizontal row or a full uh, vertical column? Either or. Either or, and it finishes the game, or you can do some other stuff. It's kind of weird, but... It's a neat little game, and for five bucks, the uh, the dice tray kind of thing that comes with it that's actually wooden with felt and everything is pretty nice, but couldn't pass up five bucks. It's kind of like our, um, what is it, historical scenarios of Settlers of Catan, and it's the Great Wall of China and the Trojan War. We have never opened it because it's in German, and it's they had a copy, and it was decently cheap, and it's shrink-wrapped, and I've never seen it in person, and it seems to be kind of valuable, not really, but more than we paid, and so... Had to, had to snatch that up just immediately. It means a lot to me. Yeah, it's a really cool little expansion thing. So we've had a good time playing games lately. We had a goal, or at least I set the goal for us, as our New Year's resolution for 2017, that we would play every single one of my games once. Now, given that was like, you know, 140-some games at the time, not because I have a lot of expansions too that add into that, but 141 games... I had to play every one of them once. That wasn't including the new games I would attain for, let's say, birthday, the games I brought home from Gen Con, that kind of stuff. And so we had a big journey ahead for playing games. Sadly, we're not going to make it. It's officially December 21st, and we've got 38, 36, upper 30s of games left to play. And that's even with me. I think I got rid of 40 games this year. If you believe you can achieve. Well, I don't think we're going to be able to achieve it. We've gotten a lot of good plays in, though, and it kind of showed me some games that I forgot how much I liked. Here's my thing, though. You've bought probably about 40 or 50 games this year, and we've played those. So really, that more than makes up for that 30, those 30 games. Oh, yeah. From what I added up, we have 260-some different plays this year of like 100 and probably 16, 17 games now. So we've really had a really good year for game playing. Uh, December this month has been our biggest because I've been rushing to try to get through that list as fast as possible now. But we got to play Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition for the first time. I, there's just a lot of games we I owned that never I never played. They sat on my to-be-played shelf, you know, my shelf of shame. But it was nice to finally break them out and play. Shame. Shame. <laughs> ding, ding. Shame. Ding, ding. Okay, I, Game of Thrones reference. Really Solid. Good. I think so. You I, just don't have the angry demeanor. Is that better? Mm-mm. For those of you at home that can't, uh, see her, she's making the I have to poop real bad face as her angry you. face. Oh, well, that's fine. You'll you'll lose. <laughs> it's cool. Whatever. Okay, so to move on to some of the games we've actually been playing, there's a few I want to talk about. So I'll start off light. 
I know we're going to talk about two big ones, but I'll start off light, which we got to play a game in the Unlock series from Space Cowboys, their Escape the Room games. We really enjoyed it. I mean, it's one deck of cards with an app on your phone. The app is awesome. The cards are cool. I like the artwork and everything. You know, it's very well done. The graphic design is nice and simple, but really hard game. Like we bought, it's the Mystery Adventures set. There's three. There's a one star, two star, three star difficulties. I guess it's locks, one lock, two lock, whatever. But we played the one first difficulty one and we did terribly. I mean, we got one out of five stars at our rating of how good we did at the end. There was also a cat in the background just now, so we all must drink. Oh, made a funny noise swallowing that time. That's but, what she said? Uh, yes, that's a good one. High five on that one. Woo! But anyway, the Unlock series is really cool. It's a very fun series um, so far. We've only played one of the games, but it was really good. We really liked it. One of our friends wanted to use the hints on it, so we ended up using hints, which me and Haley don't care for hints. We would rather suffer and figure it out that way. But she wanted to do it, and we were we were playing with her and her boyfriend. And so we, you know, we indulged her, and we just said, okay, you know, we'll use some hints, we'll get through it. But still a really cool game, and we have since bought the second one that we're going to try to play this weekend. That way we can get through it, and then after the holidays, get the third one and finish that mystery series out, and then our mystery adventures set out. Then after that, I'll definitely be picking up more escape room games, because they're really cool. And we do like to suffer. I think it's that old Catholic guilt inside of me. I like puzzles. I like to do the big escape rooms. We have did the escape OKC once before, and we won with, what, 13 minutes left or so in the hour? Something like that, yeah, and it was, I think, the hardest room at the time. The problem with the escape box is that if you make one mistake, then you are docked three minutes. And so we were docked probably a good 18 minutes before we even got past oh, more a third than of the game. More than that. We were docked quite a bit because we kept trying different codes and stuff, and we weren't doing very well. So it kind of sets you up for failure because you have to find different things, and but there are two to three cards every round that will just automatically dock you points. So you have to kind of think, is this worth it to flip this over when you kind of have to to get all the clues? So like an example of that is that in the game, it had a flashlight. And you could pair what it is, or some cards have blue on the top, some have red. And the blue and red cards you can pair together, and they add up to be a number. They have values on them. And whatever that number is, you can find it from the deck, flip it over, and it will tell you kind of what happened. So if you've got a blanket and a flashlight, and you try to pair those together, well, if you really think about it, pairing a flashlight and a blanket, especially a flashlight without batteries, isn't really going to do any good for you. So... Drink, there's a cat. There's a cat. So when you put a flashlight with a blanket, nothing happens, and then you lose three minutes. So you have to think about these pairing combinations. You can't just try everything. You have to be smart about it. You have to think about it, give it a little bit of time, However, you do have an hour timer if you really want to make it with a decent score. Which I'm excited to see how just you and I do. Yeah, it's great to have more people because more people are more eyes to look at it. But I also feel like you and I make a great team when it comes to things like that. We usually do. You see things I don't see and I see things you don't see, but we're very good about it. So moving on past the Unlock series, which again, I'm excited to play the next one. And there's Steve in the background if you want to take a drink at home. Take a drink. But another game that we played recently with my friend Brian. We actually played these next two with Brian. Uh, one of which he loved, one of which he hated. So I'm going to start with the one that he hated. Dominant Species. This is a game from GMT. It's a very good game. I really love the game. He did not like it. Uh, the theme of this game is that the Ice Age is coming. You play an animal. You're either the mammals, the reptiles, amphibians, birds, arachnids, or insects. I think that's all of them. And what happens is you place these action pawns on different actions. And then from top to bottom, left to right, you resolve everyone's pawns depending on that order. And Take then different, and different things happen. Take a drink. There's a cat. There's a cat. Take a drink. 
but you resolve these actions, and each action does something on the board. The board has hexagonal tiles, and in each corner of the tiles, it has a food source. So if you are the reptiles, then... I think it's the reptile. Yeah, if you're the reptiles, your main food source is the sun. So basically, you're depicted as a snake, and the sun is what you live with. You know, that's your biggest food source to keep you alive. So the way the game works is you can add new food sources to your animal. You can, if you're not careful, lose food sources. You can uh, add food sources to the board. You can make sure food sources get left off of the board if nobody pays attention to them. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happens that changes your animal or the state of the board. You can move around. You can migrate. The glaciation action makes the Ice Age spread from the center tile it starts on, and you can start taking over other tiles. It's a big, heavy, meaty game. There's a lot of analyzation. When you take the dominance action and score a tile, the majority person gets the highest points. And some of the tiles have first, second, third, and fourth. Some just have one, like first place. Some had first and second and so on. When you take that dominance action, you can get more points. But if somebody else is dominant dominant on the tile because they have more food sources, they get a powerful card that they get to use, which also pushes you toward the end of the game. So there's kind of a balance you have to play of, do I want the most points or do I want dominance here? instead and you have to think about really what you're doing it's just a very meaty heavy game what do you think about it i really like the game i wished there was a little rules explanation card because i feel like there's so much that we miss throughout it because it is so dense and each of the actions you can take have explanations about them but though we have a card in front of us that tells us what those are they kind of get confusing at times for example the very last card is the ice age card and every place that you're dominant in, then you get points for that. Well, it wasn't until about halfway through the game that we understood what dominance was. And so it totally flip-flopped who was dominant in what areas. And I feel like that cost the game for a couple of us. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that. I, like, I tried to describe it in the beginning, but also being that the game took us four hours, partially because we had a lot of detours and we ate in the middle of it and we had some different breaks. But, I mean, it was a big thing and it was something that, you know, we haven't played it in a year and a half. So we kind of forgot, and even though I described it, I don't think it quite clicked because I didn't understand the meaning of dominance in the game until later. I had to reread the rule a couple times. So, And not to say it's not our fault, too, because here's the thing is that the person who owns the game, the person who teaches the game, normally gets to blame for that, when the person who teaches the game is the only person who generally reads the rule book. And so I know that it's really common in game nights to kind of get onto that person whenever a rule is misunderstood or whatnot, when really... That person is just trying to interpret the rules for everybody. And so like you, I know you are trying to read the rule book. You're trying to refresh yourself. Brian and I didn't touch the rule book. So we really can't say that it's your fault because we didn't know the rules because frankly, we didn't read the rule book either. But I think that was just frustrating because there was so much to kind of comprehend before you jumped in. I think that now if you and I were to go back and play, I think I would have a lot more fun. The first time I played, I absolutely loved it. But it was just me and you in a board game shop and we were both kind of on equal level trying to understand it. Yeah, we were both new players and going through it together. I mean, that's one of the things with a big heavy game like Dominant Species is if everyone would read the rule book and prepare a little bit, it would make the game play experience better. That's I don't wanna. Yeah, but that's kind of like when we played Through the Ages. I made you read the rule book because that game has so much going on. And I might have to start doing that for some of these larger games for the sheer fact that I keep getting blamed for missing something when I'm the only one who's reading it. I'm the only one who's trying to make it work. Everybody else just listens, especially when 
Um, not that it's a bad thing, but some people, like Brian, he learns better by just playing and doing. He doesn't want to hear the whole rules explanation before. I'm not sure why he doesn't want to hear the whole rules explanation. It might be just too much at once. I know a lot of people think that when there's a big rule book like that. Which I'm kind of the same way. Like, honestly, I tune out sometimes when you're explaining the rules because I'm kind of like a mixture between you and Brian. I want to get kind of the gist of how the rules are, but I'm not going to retain it until I play it. See, I work very differently, though, because I want to learn all of the rules and I want to know every detail of what we're doing because I feel like if I, the more I know going into it, the better I'll understand it. But especially with a game like Dominant Species with so much going on. If I say, okay, what's this action do again? Now what's this do again? Which is something I could have potentially understood at least part of in the beginning. I feel like it not only slows the game down, but it makes it harder for me to understand because then I'm understanding in portions. It's like, it's kind of like taking a recipe for a pie. And instead of being able to sit down with the entire recipe in front of you and say, okay, here's everything I need. It's like you're looking one recipe, one single ingredient at a time. You're like, what do I need now? Pepper. Cool. Go to the cabinet, grab pepper. Come back. What do I need now? Salt. Go to the same cabinet, grab salt. So for me, I look at it in that way. That's kind of the manner I view it. So I like to know all of it, the entire recipe right up front before I move on to actually going about playing. I think you take the entire recipe and memorize it. When some like me and Brian, we have to look at the recipe, cook a little bit, look up at the recipe, cook a little bit. We have an idea of how the entire recipe is. Like we have all the ingredients set in front of us, but where you're going off complete memory, we have to say, okay, this is what it means to whip the eggs. This is what they should look like. Now we should add the cream of tartar. I mean, I could see that. I wouldn't say I necessarily use memory. I just have it more prepared, I guess. I don't know. I just, I pre-plan a lot. Forum, but that's also me being the teacher. I'm the owner of the games. I teach all of the games. I learn the rules for all the games. I think that just kind of comes with that territory, maybe. Yeah, it's your passion as well. Like, I enjoy games and I love to play games, but it is your passion. So, whenever you read a rule book, you've read, what, 200 rule books before. You make connections between the rule books you're reading now and the rule books you've read in the past. Oh, this is just like this game. This is just like this game. But whenever you explain it to me, I might not be on that same level when it comes to board game knowledge. And also, with all activities, I have to learn by doing. Yes, I can watch a YouTube video on how to do this, or yes, I can read a recipe book, but I have to actually do it with my hands before I say, okay, yeah, I get this. No, I mean, that makes sense. I get it. But, you know, it just makes it harder when we're playing a big game like Dominant Species that we're talking about. It just makes it harder whenever you miss a rule because then, then it seems like it's my fault. Even though I've done all I could to prevent it, it, it's just, it kind of makes it hard. And then when someone like Brian got frustrated with the game a little bit, um, I just don't think he enjoyed some of the rules. I know he didn't care for it. So, I, you know, one, thanks to him for sticking around for four hours to play it, because that's a big thing that a lot of people would not do with a game they're hating for that long. Yeah. I am grateful that we have a friend that will stick around even when he's not having the best time. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's just one of those things. But uh, is there something you didn't like about Dominant Species now that we're off the tangent of rule books? I really like it. Like the very first time I played it, I really liked the game. It was two and a half hours of you and me sitting in a board game shop, just staring at this board, trying to figure out our next move. I think I like it better as a two player because it's more back and forth. I felt like with the three player, I had a lot of time to think about my next move, which I really like the fast paced back and forth of the two player version. Because when we played it two player, I was like, you play, I play, you play, I play, you play, I play. Whenever it's three player, there's a little more lag time between them. Not that that's a bad thing, but I like the stress of having to play my next move right now. No, I understand that. And one good thing about the game as well is that it kind of, uh, it does have large downtime, you know, which is not always the best thing. However, downtime between turns when there's more than two people. However, it's nice that everybody's move influences you. 
you have to pay attention the entire time. So even though you may not be 100% engaged or active, you're at least paying attention and keeping an eye on what people are doing, which some games don't do that. You know, some games you could care less what's going on. But Dominant Species, you have to pay attention. One thing I know Brian didn't like is whenever you select that very first row of actions, you get to add a new food source to your animal. Well, the immediate next action, if you don't pick it and remove something, any food source that's there gets taken off of all the animals out. And so he bought, he basically selected the first action to gain sun as a resource and then immediately lost it. And I know he did not like that mechanic at all. I enjoy that. I think it's great because you just, you have to constantly be focused on it. And I think that's the thing too, is this is a game that you have to focus on a lot. And with three people, when everybody's kind of new, it makes it a little more difficult to catch those things. So I think another playthrough for him might make it better, but I know he really probably wouldn't. But me and you can definitely sit down and play it. Cat meowed. Drink time. So for the second game I want to talk about, because we're uh, running a little long with that tangent and just in general dominant species, because that's a, you know, it's a big game. The next game I want to talk about before our time gets too low is Inish. So Inish, um, it's spelled I-N-I-S, and it is a Celtic word, or I don't know if it's a deity in the ancient Celtic society. I'm going to Google it. Go for it. Um, but I believe it's pronounced Inish. It is an awesome dudes on a map game. You draft cards, and after drafting those cards, you then get to play them whatever order you want. You get one action pretty much a turn. Uh, you have a seasonal action. And then I can't think of the name of the instant, but it happens whenever a condition is met. You can play it. And all you do is draft a card. So you can draft migration. Then you play migration and you can move different Celtic tribes, uh, like one or two, or however many it was, to an adjacent region. And so it's a very simple game to play. There's not a lot of rules to it. Uh, the rulebook's very simple, very well laid out. The game is gorgeous. The Celtic artwork is amazing. Uh, the pieces aren't the greatest for the miniature quality, but they don't need to be. The game's not about that. And it's only an hour to play, which is awesome. So it says meaning of Irish place names. It says Inish can either mean an island or land by a river. Yeah, that actually fits because the whole game's theme is that you are uh, Celtic tribes that are part of a community and you have settled on a new island. So that's actually fitting perfectly. Um, but the game's amazing. I mean, you just it's, you draft cards and you play them. It's that simple. It looks like a complex game. It feels like it's going to be a complex game. But then you read the rules and you realize, well, this isn't so bad. And then once you play it, I mean, we could sit down now and like the box says an hour. I think even with a full four, is it four people? Uh, yeah, a full four people. I bet you could do it in an hour as long as everybody knows the game. Uh, with new players, probably an hour and a half. But the game's simple. It has three winning conditions. And you have to claim check before you can win. So kind of like in chess, you know, you say check before you actually beat the person. It's, you know, but in this game, not only can you say check, you have to or else you can't win. And so it's a really nice feature to let people go, oh, you're going to win. Oh, shit. OK, I got to get over here and fix it. So that's really nice. Very, very cool game. The cat was meowing. Everybody take a drink. So what exactly do you like about the game? Or is there something you disliked about it so far? Because I don't have any complaints with it yet. Uh, we've only played it once. It's also Brian's copy. It's not mine. So I don't know how often we'll get to play it, but I'm hoping soon. Um, but so far for me, it's all positive. How about you? It was pretty good. I don't think it was my favorite game, though. I feel like there's a lot of lag time between turns, and that kind of made me be disinterested. And so like, I was the one who got up and made the snacks between turns, and so I felt like I disengaged from the game quite a bit. But I also felt like I couldn't stay engaged with the game the whole time because I had my turns mapped out pretty I had my turns mapped out pretty quickly, 
And so even if I did stay there and sit at the table while everybody was making their turns, I felt like there was too much time to become disengaged between the two turns. Well, I actually think that's the perfect segue into the topic of the episode. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic we wanted to talk about today, even though we're going to push time a little bit, is how to handle a disinterested player. Yeah, so that game, it was fun, but I just had a very difficult time sitting there being engaged. Normally between turns, if it's not my turn, I map out my next turn. But I was able to do so so quickly. I don't know if I was able to do so more quickly than the other two guys or what, but there seemed to be sometimes up to a five-minute lag time between my turn and the next turn. And I know that because I got up and like made snacks or they will start the oven, or lay out veggie burgers. By the time I got back to the table, it still wasn't my turn. Yeah, I mean, part of that, too, is we're new, and so we don't know the cards well enough yet, because um, that's the thing that I know, is once we learn the game and you know what those action cards are that you're drafting, it's going to make it much, much easier to get around the board um, and get the turn order going. But it it's one of those things that I feel like just once we play it, it'll get quicker. Um, but as the topic, since we're talking about how to keep an engaged, uh, how to keep a disinterested player engaged, what, what are some of the remedies that you could see? Is it strictly based on what game you choose or is there possibly a way to either keep yourself or for someone to help keep you engaged with it? And that way you can maintain interest and maintain that enthusiasm to play. Snacks definitely help. Something to keep me at the table. And also I like games where I have to use the time between turns to plan. I want to be able to plan out my move, plan out what I'm going to do next, plan out maybe even two or three moves ahead, and kind of guess what everyone else is doing. And so there's a lot, of, there's not very many games that I become disengaged in. Like even side, side, there's a lot of time between turns sometimes. But there is so much that you can do, so much that you can choose from, and a lot of it is based on what the other characters are doing, that uh, side really isn't that difficult for me to stay engaged in. But something like Ennis, I just felt for some reason the whole time I was just disengaged. I wonder if part of that is not necessarily just the simplicity because it is very simple. I probably honestly think in that situation for you, it's just me and Brian being new. When we're new and we don't know what we want to do, it takes us time. Um, I tend to overthink turns a lot of times. And so, you know, my um, analysis paralysis kicks in. I think that that's part of it. It's just going to be one of those things. But because we've played other heavier games that take longer between turns, but you're also still going. So I wonder if it's because those have a larger amount of choices or more things to focus on and more possibilities to consider where Inish has very simple, a, a very simple play style with a very minor amount of decisions. I mean, you only have your hand of four cards. Those are your actions for the turn. And so I, I think it's one of those things where you figure it out quickly, like you said, but we're still thinking and trying to calculate, okay, what's best? What are we doing? Where are we going? How are we doing it? And things like that. I think what would, 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 would have been very helpful too is if I would have been engaged in conversation a little more. So it seems like you guys were focused on your cards the whole time. And there wasn't really a lot of conversation going around the table. So with like games that we're more familiar with, games that we're comfortable with, like let's say Sagrada. Even if Delton has his analysis paralysis, uh, Brian and I are so familiar with the game that we're able to hold even just a 10 second conversation while Delton's making his decision. I felt like with Ennis, we were just silent for a whole, probably two hours. I could see that though. I mean, all the conversation was about the game. It wasn't anything else, which, you know, that depends on the person who likes that or not. But I mean, I could completely see that. Let's say you're playing one of your favorite games and we're introducing a new friend. 
and they're disinterested in the game, whether they're gamers or if they're somebody that just said they wanted to play, but you can tell they don't really care. How would you handle that situation? I would engage them in conversation because it doesn't just have to be about the game. Let them know that. Maybe not engage in conversation about the game, engage in the conversation about, hey, what'd you do this week? Or, hey, is that a new phone? Or, hey, what are you going to do tonight after we're done with the game? I think engaging them more, making it not just about the game, because like you said before, it's not necessarily about the game while we get together. It's for that friendship, it's for that memory, it's for that experience. And so if that person is coming to our table, it's not just to play that board game. I mean, our friends don't come over, hey, I'm going to come over because I heard you have Sagrada. No, they're going to come over to play and spend time with us, and playing games makes it fun. And for some, if we want them to play games or they want to try games, we need to make it a little more fun by meeting them halfway. Some people aren't going to, some people might want to play games, but they might not be totally as immersed in the game culture as we are. And so you and I can have, a, you and Brian can have conversations about Sagrada while we're playing Innis. And that's just fine. But for someone who's not a board gamer, I think it's very important to engage them by maybe bringing up a topic that's not board gaming or offering them a snack. Just anything to make it less about the board game, more about the experience. I could see that for sure. I think my only complaint with that, I mean, I understand completely, but I noticed one thing that happens is if you get in too much conversation, then everybody starts to get away from the game. Now, I understand games are social and that's why we play them. We want to play with our friends. We want to have a good time, show friends a good time, have fun with each other. You know, it's a puzzle. It's a game. It's anything like that. But it does start to bug me when people get so caught up in conversation that a 30 minute game becomes a two hour game. And that's, you know, a whole nother whole different situation for myself. And that's just because I, I want to play the game. I want to spend time with you too, but I'm offering to spend time with you by doing that, which is helping me not only stay engaged because sometimes I have a hard time holding conversation depending on the night, but it's helpful for me to keep engaged with everybody else by playing a game. And if people start having too much conversation to where we're not playing the game anymore, I'm sitting there wanting to play. And then, you know, it just, we kind of sit. But I can't think of a single game night we've had that experience. Not since that one person who you both, you and I both know who would look at their phones between their terms, just be totally disinterested. But I don't think we've actually had a game night where we haven't had conversations, not about board games, that have interrupted board game time. I mean, you and I go over to Zach and Sarah's all the time, and Sarah and I will be talking about psychology. Then it comes to our turn, we play. I think that that's a fear you have that is going to be away from the board game, but I don't think that fear has actually been made into a reality. It's never lasted more than a few minutes. I think that's the thing, is majority of the people we play with, if there's a side conversation, it's only a couple minutes and then we're back. Yeah, and so, so we really don't have that fear that the board game's going to be overshadowed by conversation. Well, yeah, I mean, we really don't. But at the same time, there's certain people that I can think about or certain people I've been around that that does happen. And I think it's just something that I already have enough anxiety about how my cards are being treated because, I mean, you spend money on a game. Come on. Um, I already have that kind of anxiety going on. And then I'm like, I just want to play the game. That's the whole reason we're having a game night. And I, I don't know. It's one of those things. I think it's just something I have to get used to. We just don't invite those people over. That's true. Maybe, you know, maybe that's just me being for, weird and selfish. Not for board game night, at least. Like, not that... Yeah, invite them over for dinner and a conversation. Because that's the thing is that not all people are going to like board games either. Yeah, you and I might have rollicking good fun playing board games, or you, me, Zach, and Sarah might have a great time playing board games. But some of our friends just aren't going to like board games. So we can invite them over and have dinner and start talking. 
and we come up with the idea of a board game and they're just not going to have fun. And I think that's something that's also hard for us to accept sometimes because we want to show everybody how much we love board games. I mean, it's a passion that we have. We we play board games probably four days a week together. I'd say so. So we play them quite a bit. And so we want to share that passion with, cause it makes, with them because it makes us happy. But some people aren't going to be happy with that. Yeah, they're more happy with the conversation uh, or more happy just in that spending time with someone one-on-one talking. So I do understand that completely. And I think that is part of it is I just have the passion for games and I want to share that with people. So it's nice we do have friends that do enjoy that passion as well. But not everyone's a big-ass nerd like we are. Yeah, that's very true. Um, So yeah, I guess, I mean, that works. Engaging people in conversation can keep them invested in the game or keep them from devolving away into just a slug. I don't know. To keep them from being disinterested in the game. I also think no cell phones at the game table. That's a big one because, I mean, every once in a while I'll, I'll have mine if it's taken a while to get around to my turn. But it definitely helps for certain people just to, you know, keep them off their phone. And that it's kind of like uh, when you go to a restaurant, you place all your phones face down in a stack. And the first person to grab their phone before the bill comes has to pay for the whole meal. So we could always in- institute some sort of thing like that. But, you know, it just depends on who you're playing with. And luckily we've got pretty awesome friends we play games with. Amen. So I think that's, I can't really think of anything else for a disinterested player aside from pick a game they're interested in. It's kind of the hard one because you want to try new games out, introduce people to new games, but if they only want to play Ticket to Ride, you might kind of be up a creek with that one. And watch for their body language. Look for social cues. If they're not having a good time, it's okay to stop a game halfway through. You don't have to make them push through a whole 45 minute game of Ticket to Ride if you can tell they're just not having fun. It's okay. I know it's hard. I I see your anxiety going up right now that you have to finish a game, but you don't have to. If someone is just completely disinterested, well, let's skip Ticket to Ride and go to Billionaire Banshee. Maybe that's more your style. I guess my argument against that would be one person doesn't need to ruin it for everyone. So if we have a group of four people playing a game and one person doesn't like the game, at what point do you ruin the fun everyone else is having for that one person? You kind of have to choose, okay, we'll go to something that we may not all like as much, but you'll have fun with, or you can suffer for 20 more minutes so the rest of us can have fun and finish this out, then we'll move on. So you kind of have to, to, to decide at what point is one person's opinion a big enough opinion to not harm, but uh, disrupt the fun everybody else is having. So there is that. Right, but if it's just you and me showing one other person a game. Well, yeah, then it's not too bad. But still, whenever you have four people and one person is disinterested, I think it's also important to check in with people. So, yeah, Sarah might look like she's having a ball, but Zach looks like he's withdrawing. Well, check in with both of them. Are you guys having fun? Are you not having fun? Well, if you're not having fun, let's let's think of a different game or something else we could do after this game. So at least gives them hope that we're not going to make them play the same lame board game for the next three hours. Yeah, that's definitely very true. Luckily... They stuck with Battlestar Galactica the whole time until we finished it when Zack, the dirty, 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 cheating, lying, stinking Cylon beat us. But that's okay. They toughened toughened that out and actually said they enjoyed the game a lot. So that makes me feel good knowing that they can play something like that and they don't mind. Same here. Well, is there anything else you can think about for disinterested players before we wrap this one up? I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty well. All right. So I guess that's the end of this episode, which is episode four. If you could just hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook, or check us out on YouTube once I get some videos up. Uh, Our tag on all of those is at Malthouse Games. That is M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S. We're pretty active on all of those. My personal is at Delton Brack on Twitter and on Facebook. Send me an ad, send me a, a like, an invite, 
to, you know, some kind of group, just whatever. I'll usually accept most anything, but yeah, give us some feedback on there. If you have any questions or any big concerns or something like that, we also have an email, contact at malthousegames.com. Uh, Haley's Twitter handle is at squirrelygeek. That's at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-D-E-E-K. So hit us up, check us out, send us any kind of information. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Uh, this is episode four, so we will be doing this on a bi-weekly basis, so every two weeks, and it'll be good. Um, hopefully you're enjoying it, and come back and listen for next time. So I guess until then, just sit back, relax, have a drink, and play some games. See you later. Bye.